Wonderful. Thank you so much, worship team, for uh, leading us in a time of preparing our hearts for the last night of Advent. Good evening, everybody. It's really good to have you all here. If you're here visiting, you're first-timer, it's really good to have you as our guests. Uh, if I have not met you yet, I would love to spend some time uh, talking to you after service and getting to know you a bit. My name is Bryce Langley. I am a pastoral resident here at Antioch Community Church, so I serve alongside Pastor Darius, the elders, and the rest of the staff. I am very honored to be sharing God's word uh, on a day, on an evening, that means a lot to our faith, our heritage as Christians. So we've been celebrating Advent over the last several weeks together, going through the scriptures and discovering how this one thrill of hope in Jesus's birth inspires thousands of other thrills of hope throughout the rest of the year. So this thrill of hope to a weary world at Christmas, it began in a manger and it reaches a crescendo on Easter Sunday when Jesus walked out of a grave in victory over Satan, sin, and death. It's what inspired the title of this series, Thrills of Hope, which is behind me on the banner. And tonight is our conclusion. So in thinking about that title though, Thrills of Hope, it comes from the song, O Holy Night, where the lyric reads, a thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Now, in fact, this hymn was originally penned by a French poet in 1843 who originally titled that song, Midnight Christian is the Solemn Hour. So, Christians, this is our solemn hour where we, we get to meditate on Jesus' birth, what that means for our souls, what that has meant for the world, what it means for us in the future, and it perfectly describes why we are here this evening celebrating together. So... Let's go to the Bible and let us see, discover, and let the Holy Spirit minister to us about what this holiday truly means for us. So please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 21. That's Luke chapter 2, 1 to 21. It might be familiar to you as kind of the classic Christmas passage. Uh, would you also please stand with me as you are able for the reading of Scripture as a posture of reverence and submission to this text? All this is going to be behind me on the screen in the English Standard Version. If you don't have a Bible with you, otherwise feel free to read along with whatever you have. There will also be a, a prompt at the end of our text for you to collectively respond together. It's going to be highlighted on the screen behind me. So this is Luke 2, 1, 20, 1 to 21. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which was called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and lied him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And an angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly... 
there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you. Now, tonight, you're probably going to Christmas parties if you have not been to one already. You're maybe doing family get-togethers or possibly even traveling across state lines or across the Twin Cities after getting off of work. If you're driving, be safe. I've seen more than my fair share of accidents over the first, uh, last few days. And if you're really ambitious, you are doing what is truly last-minute Christmas shopping for everybody else on your list that you forgot to check off. But to some other people, though, Christmas might be also ignored and treated as another weekend off with minimal mention of Jesus' birth at all. But in other parts of the world, this holiday is more secretive. It's celebrated in the shadows to evade persecution, which if you think about that, I mean, that idea of being persecuted, the darkness of its locale, that is closer to the realities of our text in Luke chapter 2. See, the context of these verses in 1 through 5, which talk about a census that was decreed by Caesar Augustus, this was all happening during the first century Roman occup occupation of Jerusalem, and it was a political and religious powder keg. Okay, so the first thing to remember is that when we think to water down our text in Luke to merely a good bedtime story or an obligation before we all open up presents together, we need to remember that in this text, Jesus was not born in a luxury hospital. He wasn't paraded down the king's court to a lot of fanfare. He was born in a feeding trough to a teenage mom in Bethlehem, verses 5 through 7. It's a town that, while verses 4 and 11 recognized it as a place of spiritual significance, right, in Jesus' own family tree, the line of David, a lot of people in that time, though, considered Bethlehem to be a backwater, socially undesirable region of the empire to be from. Right? Nobody would think a king would be born in a place like Bethlehem. So in other words, hope was kindled in an unlikely place through and to very unlikely people. Kindled in an unlikely place and two unlikely people. Now to illustrate that even further, I want to take us back to a particular event in history when Christmas was celebrated in one of the most unlikely places imaginable to us. The year was 1914, and World War I was raging hard in Western Europe with some of the most notorious and disgusting conditions recorded by historians, right? Living in trenches, poisonous gas, the introduction of automatic weaponry, and severe illnesses were all considered normal and brutal conditions of what was known then as the Great War. And that Christmas Eve night in 1914 on what was called the Western Front of war-torn France, something very peculiar happened. 
German soldiers began singing Christmas carols in their own trenches. Now, thinking at first that this was a diversion to get the enemy combatants out in the open for an ambush, eventually allied forces of British and Scots started singing those same carols in their own native languages in their trenches, creating the symphony of voices across this frosted French wasteland, singing songs about so great a savior. Then the next morning, something beyond peculiar, almost miraculous happened. Here's an article from Greg Morse on the event itself. Here's what he says, quote, after thousands of men gathered the night before, tens of thousands would gather in no man's land on Christmas day. They gathered illegally to sing, exchange gifts of cigars and puddings and talk as best they could in their own languages. One Brit gave a German a haircut. Some reportedly raced bikes they found in abandoned houses. They fought ferociously on the soccer field, laughing hysterically at the Scots whose behinds shone as their kilts flapped in the wind. Now this is called the Christmas truce. And we might read that, we might laugh, smile, and even tremble at these accounts like a lot of people did who were actually there. It borders on being unbelievable. Right? How could this have happened? Like, no way. Not in World War I, not between these people. How? And honestly, the Christmas story in its context is unbelievable in its own right. See, the Jews were expecting this warrior king to come to deliver them, to sack Rome, their occupier, and the non-Jews, so Gentiles, had no other god but Caesar. So another king did not exist in their consciousness. They weren't expecting anybody else. Here's R.T. France's commentary on this passage. Here's what he says, quote, this is a story of contrasts. The imperial pomp and political dominance of Caesar Augustus contrast with the humble village home in which the new world ruler is born. He is born in the royal city of David, but he is there only as a visitor without even a proper guest room. Although the news of his birth comes in an astonishing manifestation of heaven's glory, so with all the angels there in our passage, it comes to the most ordinary of mortals, agrarian workers, probably dirty and smelly. All of this speaks to the God of the Magnificat who brings his own rulers from their thrones, but he lifts up the humble. The first are last, and the last are first. So think about how this event of the Christmas truce in 1914 is a story of contrasts. Beauty collided with rage in the eerie quiet of no man's land for 24 hours. And honestly, if you think about it, our own lives are stories of contrasts, of contradictions, and holding tensions between the most joyful celebrations that we cherish, especially at this time of year, and how we can still turn on the news and see awful tragedy still happening in the world at the same time. Contrasts. But in line with that thought, here's something to really think about in light of this whole Advent theme, is that a temporary truce like this in 1914 in war-torn France is both a reminder of how hope in Jesus showed up in the dark as it did originally in the first century, and it showed up in a network of trenches in an unlikely place to unlikely people where nobody expected it. But that event is also a foreshadow of what it's going to be like when Jesus returns to this earth to usher in his physical rule and reign, permanently ridding every trace of sin and death 
judging the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. True peace. When our weapons of war are laid down, when all nations, tribes, and tongues enter into the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem together, there won't be anything to fight over. There's nothing to quarrel over. There's nothing but worship, arm in arm, together. So in short, the essence of Advent, this whole season that we're celebrating, Christmas, whatever you call it, it is remembering Jesus' first coming as a baby and then looking toward his second coming. Let's read what scripture says about that in Revelation chapter 21. This will actually be behind me. Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the, first, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the, order, the old order have, of things have passed away. I can't imagine what it would have been like to be a regular Jewish citizen in that time in the first century, let alone to be shepherds who were told about this king being born in the dead of night via an angel in verses 8 through 14. I try to imagine what it would have been like to be a British soldier racing bikes, playing soccer, or giving a haircut to a young man who hours earlier was a target in my crosshairs. And that that was made possible because celebrating Jesus' birth temporarily reconciled sworn enemies, calling each other even friends, maybe even brothers for a couple of hours. But altogether, though, it's an example of where humanity was brought together under the banner of Jesus born. But here's the difference, though. Jesus' birth is not a truce where hands are shaken, darkness pauses for a spurt of merriment, and then it resumes its devastation like nothing happened. And that isn't to say that we still don't experience evil. I'm sure there's plenty of examples that you could give me kind of rapid fire. But here's the thing, though. Jesus' birth is the ushering in of a true peace offering from God the Father, truly a thrill of hope, who was born of a virgin and fulfilling the scriptures. And that that event tears through the dark night of the first century and this present darkness all the same. In thinking about our month-long discussions about thrills of hope during Advent, Jesus fulfills every single one of them. Jesus is the centerpiece of Scripture. It's everything that the Bible hinges on, the centerpiece of it. Everything that you read in the Bible, all 66 books, is somehow pointing to or is directly about Jesus. Jesus is our example of true generosity because he gave us himself on the cross. Jesus is our ultimate comfort when we experience sorrow. And maybe that's you. You're here, and the holidays remind you of really difficult times, and it's hard to shake that off. And maybe you are here, and you cannot remember the last time that peace felt tangible to you. And that the idea of Jesus being your comfort, your peace, it somehow seems out of grasp, Maybe it's unbelievable, and maybe to you it actually feels irrational. And perhaps maybe you're here, you're following Jesus, you've done so for a long time, and the stress of the holidays can maybe, 
get you to lose sight of some of those promises. But whatever your circumstances, whatever affliction, I want you to take hold of this truth like Mary did, pondering them all in her heart like verse 19 says. So ponder this. If you feel the weariness of the world and question how could there be a good God or any sort of long-lasting peace that pacifies any present evil, look to the manger. Open your Bibles and look to the manger. Look to Jesus being born. Jesus who was born, who then became a man and still fully God, Jesus paid our honor debt through his life, his death, his burial, and resurrection on the third day like the scriptures promised us. He's a high priest who can sympathize with all of our different afflictions and whatever you go through. And his birth, his sacrifice, his resurrection, all, of the, all those things together, they beckon us. Every tribe, every tongue, every culture, and all positions of power, no matter what your circumstances or where you come from, all those things put us on level playing field before the cross, yes, on Easter Sunday, but on a day like this, it puts us all in front of the manger together to meditate on what this means for us. Jesus is the newborn king who holds the keys to the kingdom of heaven. He is the center of everything that our faith is all about. He invites us to trust in him, to become citizens, to become heirs, to be given this true gift of salvation through his sacrifice. So before everybody is off on interstates, on crowded county roads, packing into living rooms and opening gifts, all of which are wonderful things, doing that myself along with my wife and extended family, I want you to remember that at the center of it all belongs Jesus. So Antioch, Jesus was born. Jesus is coming back. Amen. What I want to do is actually transition us. We're going to have the worship team end in a, uh, in a version of Silent Night. Everybody was given candles on your way in. So we're going to have a few people who are coming down the aisles. This will be a candlelit song. And I was instructed to give a couple of logistics to prevent the fire marshals from showing up on Christmas Eve, right? So if you have your candle lit and you are the person next to them with the unlit candle, bring over like that. I feel like one of those like, you know, flight attendants who's trying to demonstrate what it's like to buckle your seatbelt when the plane crashes. So bring the candle over like this, pass it down the aisle. That's how it'll work. Thank you guys so much again for coming. I will hand it over to the worship team. God bless and Merry Christmas to everybody.